Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 6, Episode 22. In the last episode, I continued working through the little that is known about the Sea People, a discussion spurred on by Moses' comment in Deuteronomy 8 that the Israelites would find iron and copper in the Promised Land. This, of course, led to a discussion of the Copper, Bronze, and Iron Ages, which then led me to the Bronze Age Collapse, an event that occurred about the same time the Sea Peoples showed up in the region. This week, I'm continuing working through those mysterious immigrants, beginning with the theory that they originated from the semi-legendary Anatolian city of Troy. And with that, let's get started. Before beginning the theory of migrating Trojans, a little background. Until recently, meaning in the past couple of centuries, researchers were unsure if the Trojans really existed. More on what changed their minds in a few minutes. At that point in time, meaning pre-archaeological discoveries, the source of pretty much all that was known about the Trojans was from a few ancient and less than clear sources. Ancient literary sources mention, or outright told, stories about the Trojans. One such source was the Roman poet Virgil, who wrote of Aeneas escaping Troy for Latium, becoming the forefather of Romulus, the semi-legendary founder and first king of Rome. There are also other people the Hittites called the Tarusa, who may have been the same as the Trojans. Do recall from the past several episodes that Egyptian records indicated a people known as the Teresh, a name that's close enough to Troy that some consider it more than coincidental. Finally, there's something else. Whoever it was that came to reside in Canaan likely didn't travel far, and Anatolia is just far enough that the Egyptians and others facing the invading force wouldn't have been exceedingly familiar with the invaders, but close enough that the ancient peoples could have easily made the sea journey. But why would the Trojans have left? The answer to that question requires a little background into the city. And do note, this is a general overview of Troy. I'd love to do a deeper dive into it, but it isn't pertinent to the podcast, and I'm trying really hard to stay on applicable topics. And unfortunately, Troy isn't one. With that out of the way, a very short history of Troy, the war that happened there, and why it may have led to an invasion further south of the Sea Peoples. Troy was a city in the northwest of Anatolia. It was located where the agricultural plain of Troy met the ridge of Troy, essentially a mountain along the Scamander River. All of this within a stone's throw of the Aegean Sea. And it was this confluence of geographic features, being near the Aegean Sea, the Sea of Marmara, and the Black Sea, that made it a central hub for military battles and trade. As for the history of the ancient city, not much is known outside of what Homer wrote about it in the Iliad. In this point, the tale of a ten-year war between a coalition of Greek states and the walled city of Troy. In Greek mythology, the Trojan War was fought after Paris of Troy took Helen from her husband, Menelaus, the king of Sparta. The war is considered one of the more important events in Greek mythology, having been told, 
and retold in many works of Greek literature, most notably by Homer in the Iliad. King Menelaus's brother, King Agamemnon of Mycenae, led an expedition of Achaean troops, meaning Greek troops, to Troy, and besieged the city for ten years, all in an attempt to recover his brother's wife, or at least avenge the insult. The war led to the death of several Greek heroes, heroes such as Achilles and Ajax, along with the Trojan heroes Hector and Paris. And even with this, the siege was a stalemate, until the Greeks built a large wooden horse and presented it as an offering while they feigned their retreat. Of course, hidden inside the horse were Greek soldiers who went safely inside the city's walls. The hidden soldiers snuck out and the city was captured. The Greeks killed all of the Trojans, with the exception of some women and children who were either kept as personal possessions or sold as slaves. The city was razed and the Trojan temples desecrated. At least that's how Homer told the tale. For centuries, it was believed that the tale of the war was little more than myth, at least until the ruins of the city were uncovered. How much of the tale is true versus the evolution of oral history versus pure legend is anyone's guess. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Many researchers now believe that much of the Trojan population fled, founding colonies in places far distant, including possibly Canaan and that all of this occurred sometime in the 13th or 12th centuries BC. And with the horse came the fall of the city, which led to its complete abandonment, or potential near-abandonment. Either way, what followed was a dark age, one where no history was recorded. Centuries later, another Greek city was established there, one that eventually fell to invading Persians, only to be liberated by another Greek, Alexander the Great, then the Romans, followed by the Byzantines, and you would think the Ottomans were next, but before they asserted their authority over the region, the city was abandoned again, sitting under agricultural land until it was finally excavated, or at least the excavations began, in the mid-19th century, near the modern Turkish city of Hisarlik and what they found were older ruins sitting underneath more recent ruins, which is the natural course of events. And underneath all of this were the ruins of the ancient Troy. Of course, the legendary story has been the belief for millennia, Helen of Troy, Achilles, a wooden horse, all the things legends are made from. And when you have widely held beliefs, with little historical support, there will be researchers who say otherwise. And in this case, it's been proposed that Troy didn't fall to the Greeks, or at least not those in the legend, but instead fell to the sea people. As we'll see in a few minutes, there is the thought that these invaders didn't just try to sack Egypt and indeed take over parts of Canaan, but could have done the same further north and one such place further north was Troy. And there is a little, albeit scant, support for this in Homer's telling of the Odyssey. In this story, he tells of Odysseus's assumed identity as a wandering Cretan, 
which could possibly be a sea people, trying to make his way back home after the Trojan War. Along the way, he fights in Egypt, but is captured and forced to serve in their army. While in their service, he participates in what is called the Eighth Year Campaign of Ramses III. He also mentions that Cyprus has been destroyed in a battle, to be rebuilt by Greek-speaking people. And at least this part of this theory makes sense. But other than the epic poem by Homer filtered down to a few passages, there isn't much other support. What I find interesting about all of this is that while Odysseus was wondering, essentially, so were the Israelites. Or, at least, they had recently settled. Neither of these narratives occurred in a vacuum, but instead at about the same time, and in about the same place. While I'm on Anatolia, there's the theory that the migration of the people was caused by a famine there. Thinking back to the end of Genesis, when Jacob sends his sons to Egypt due to a localized drought and impending famine, it's easy to see how such a climatic event could have caused a similar migration from the region just north of Israel a few hundred years later. The ancient Greek historian Herodotus wrote about this concerning the Anatolian Lydians who migrated due to a local famine. In his words, In the days of Attis, the son of Manes, there was a scarcity through the whole land of Lydia. So the king determined to divide the nation in half, the one to stay, the other to leave the land. The immigrants should have his son Terranus for their leader, so they went down to Smyrna and built themselves ships. After sailing past many countries, they came to Umbria and called themselves Terranians. Okay. So given that he dropped several names, I've got a little explaining to do about who these people were. Lydia was a kingdom in Anatolia, as was Smyrna. And Umbria is a region in central Italy. Attis, Mainz, and Terranus were all Lydian kings and princes. I'll skip their history as it really doesn't add to the history of the Sea Peoples, or the Old Testament. But the information on them just isn't from Herodotus. I've also recently mentioned tablets uncovered at Ugarit. Among these, there are similar tablets that detail how the Ugarits sold grain to the Hittites about the same time, possibly indicating a famine. And the cause of that famine was likely a drought. Many episodes ago, I mentioned a drought in the Middle East in the early 1970s, AD. That drought had it occurred around 1200 BC, it would have led to a famine, possibly driving a migration. No real surprise there. But there's something else worth mentioning. Great societal changes always need a catalyst, something that causes things to go past a tipping point. And in an agricultural society, famines and droughts can be such an event. This was seen in the 17th through 19th centuries in an event known as the Little Ice Age, which has been at least indirectly linked to wars that followed. Wars such as the Thirty Years' War in Central Europe and the French Revolution, among many others. 
And what comes next has been really consistent throughout human history. Wars, revolutions, upheaval. All it takes is something to push the society over the edge. That's enough serious material for a little while. Moving along. The next proposed people who could have been the Sea Peoples are closely related to the Trojans and Greeks, and these are the Mycenaeans. And before you write in, do recall that when I covered the Greeks in the last episode, it was primarily people from the island of Crete. Cretans. Mycenaeans were, of course, from the city-states within the larger Mycenaean region, meaning mostly mainland Greece. In this narrative, these people fought each other over a length of decades and through many smaller conflicts. Smaller, but still utterly destructive. In Greek mythology, which, like many myths, may be based some in truth, it altered through the multiple problems with oral history. Anyway, in Greek mythology, the Mycenaeans were ruled by powerful families, and it was these families that eventually came to fight each other. This is a long-held belief, with endorsement as far back as Greek historian Thucydides, who posited, For in early times, the Hellenes and the barbarians of the coast and islands were tempted to turn to piracy under the conduct of their most powerful men. They would fall upon a town unprotected by walls and would plunder it, no disgrace being yet attached to such an achievement, but even some glory. Archaeological evidence shows that many fortified sites in the region were destroyed in the late 13th and early 12th centuries BC. The city-state of Pylos is believed to have been invaded by a naval force originating further north, the Dorians. The Pylians lost, and in the process their city was razed and burned, with the losers fleeing. This wasn't an isolated event, with other regional cities encountering a similar fate, very similar to the proposed Trojan origin theory. But, like many of the theories, this one isn't without its detractors. Some have proposed that the burning of the cities were spaced out too far apart in time for the fleers to have had the dramatic impact they did on the eastern and southern Mediterranean. Also, that the rise of the Dorians potentially occurred too late, essentially after the Sea Peoples showed up in Egypt, too late for their military victories to have contributed to a migration. This proposal has the Pylians retreating to the north and west, in the opposite direction of where the Sea Peoples showed up and a retreat in this direction would have been unlikely if the invading force, in this case the Dorians, were also from the north. Though the actual identification of these Dorians is little more than theory. More on them in a minute. So, in this case, it's also been proposed that the Sea Peoples were also responsible for the defeat of the Pylians. Essentially, that they not only fought and won in Canaan, but further north in Greece, and therefore came from elsewhere. And in this case, also proposed as Anatolia. So, maybe the Trojans there too. Or another Anatolian people. Merging all of this together, the potential for the Sea Peoples being Greeks from Crete, or mainland Greece, 
and you end up with yet another theory, and that's that they were a mixture of migrants who were essentially ethnically Greek. You should have seen that theory coming. But if not from Crete or Mycenae, then from where? Another possibility is that the Sea Peoples were Minoan, also from Crete, and this proposal gets rather involved. Backing up, note that two of the subgroups that settled in Canaan were the Takur and the Peliset. The Takur may have left Crete to settle in Anatolia sometime after this, and for reasons unknown, they may have then left Anatolia and settled in Dor. Recall that Dor was an important coastal city in Canaan, in the territory allotted to the tribe of Manasseh. And there is a biblical basis in this, possibly. In the Old Testament, it's said that the Philistines originated in a place known as Kaftur, and many believe this is the same as Crete. More on all of this in a bit. As for Takur, the theories on where they came from are even more speculative, with Sicily and Crete mentioned the most frequently. That still leaves the subgroup of sea peoples known as the Sheridan. Some researchers think they were Sardinians, meaning from the island of Sardinia, a large island off the west coast of Italy. They also migrated from what's known as Nuragic culture. This is a catch-all name for the culture of the island of Sardinia, at least what was there between about 1800 and 200 BC. There is some archaeological support for all of this, though it is a bit scant. There has been pottery from the era found on Cyprus that resembles pottery uncovered on Sardinia. Now, this could be nothing more that the pottery was imported from Sardinia, but this really wouldn't make economic sense. Everyone in the region made their own pottery in their own style. Also, the transportation was slow and expensive, especially by our modern standards, so there was no real reason to import something as mundane as pottery which becomes even more believable once you take into account that there were no real technological innovations. Instead, when you find pottery at a site that resembles pottery from another place far away, it's thought to indicate that whoever made the vessels migrated from one place to another. And that's the theory in this case. The site on Cyprus where the pottery was found dates to between the 13th and 12th centuries BC about when the Sea Peoples were rampaging throughout the greater region. Taking all of this together has led to the proposal that the Sea Peoples, at least the Sheridan branch, originated on the island of Sardinia, then went to Crete. After a successful invasion, they integrated and supplemented their original forces with Cretans to invade Cyprus. After doing the same there, they went on to Egypt and eventually Canaan. Other than pottery, what support is there for this theory? Well, there are Sheridan swords that are remarkably similar to Sardinian swords that date to as early as 1650 BC. There are also small bronze figurines dating to the Nurguric period that show the same helmets, round shield, and battle skirts as the Sheridans. The dating of these figurines is a bit of a dispute with some having them as late as the 10th or even the 9th century BC, 
Their recent evidence places them in the 13th century, which would help support the claim. There are other potential invaders, originating from the central and western portion of the Mediterranean, but I think we're well past the point of saturation. All in all, all of the theories have a migrating island people moving either directly or in steps to Egypt and Canaan. But I'm not quite done with these seafaring peoples, as there are two other groups left to cover. One for the more trivial but interesting aspect, and the other due to the importance the people would play in the remainder of the Old Testament narrative. First, the interesting, yet trivial, and those are people who migrated from as far away as Central Europe. This is known as the invader hypothesis. These invaders weren't invading in a sense of a strictly military campaign, but more of the military in front of a migrating people. It's thought that this wasn't a single group from a single place, but more of something ranging from a loosely knit people to completely disparate groups, all on the move. And from Europe, they may have originated as far away as the Danube Valley, which runs through Germany, Austria, Slovakia, Hungary, Serbia, Romania, and Bulgaria, before eventually flowing into the Black Sea, so north of Anatolia. It's been proposed that some invaders may have even come from the east, as far as the plains of China, but these people would have come over land, and not by boat, so not the sea peoples. For the purposes of this episode, at least for the next minute or so, I'll concentrate on those from Europe. What's been dubbed a disturbance, and of course, my mind went immediately to a disturbance in the force. But this wasn't that. Instead, there was something, probably an environmental disturbance, like I previously mentioned. And in this case, at least in the case of this theory, the catalyst is proposed to have occurred in what's known as the Carpetho-Danubian region of Europe. And it didn't just head towards the eastern and southern Mediterranean, but the people headed from the Central Valley in essentially all directions. People were on the move and going everywhere. And over the course of decades, but in the general time period around 1200 BC, it's thought these Central Europeans could have been the same as the hypothetical Dorians who showed up in Greece to conquer whoever they ran into. And that's the interesting but trivial theory, and pretty much a comprehensive survey of where the Sea Peoples could have originated. But once they arrived and settled in Canaan, who did they become? And the answer to that is the primary reason I've devoted so much time to this not very well-known, almost mythical people. Many believe that these sea peoples, once settled, became the people of the Old Testament, referred to as the Philistines. First, I'll cover why it's believed they were the sea peoples, and in the next episode, I'll cover what is known about the Philistines. In the coastal plain of Canaan, Archaeological evidence reveals some sort of cultural disruption towards the end of the Bronze Age, which would place it somewhere around 1200 BC. The previous inhabitants either were destroyed, or left, or were absorbed into another culture, 
Like you can hopefully by now guess, this is seen in the pottery, where traditional Canaanite pottery was replaced by what is very similar to Mycenaean pottery, but made with local materials. So, once again, not imported, but made by craftspeople who are using techniques learned in a different region. To add to the confusion, or clarity, take your pick. It seems the pottery has some Egyptian influences. Think back to the past couple of episodes, when I covered what we know about the Sea Peoples from Egyptian records. And the fact that the pottery has Egyptian influences isn't surprising. Remember that Egyptian hieroglyphs show that the Sea Peoples first invaded there, and then were driven to Canaan and also that many were taken prisoner, or served as mercenaries in the Egyptian army. With all of this, it's easy to see how they would pick up some of the Egyptian ways. Over time, this Mycenaean pottery was replaced by a unique local style, and given the sudden appearance of pottery that seemed to have been made by Greek or Sardinian potters, it would suggest that one of the peoples had invaded or that a force that included them had. Either way, the new locals weren't from around there, and those that were, were at a minimum, no longer making the pottery, and maybe gone for good. This wasn't just at Dor, but similar artifacts have been uncovered at Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, Gath, and Gaza, essentially all throughout the coastal region of Canaan, and there's something else. Evidence is lacking for about a 30-year period, so between when the former residents left and the Sea Peoples arrived, there's a 30-year gap. Now, this could mean nothing, like the evidence has yet to be found, or it could mean that the former were driven out and the land lay fallow. Right now, we just don't know. And that provides me with a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll pick up with the Philistines as found in the Old Testament and outside record. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, help others to find the podcast by leaving a positive review on iTunes. You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcasts as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. Finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week.